0: This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast powered by Awana. I'm Ross, you know who you are. Thank you for listening, thank you for being here. This is the official kickoff of season four of this podcast and I can't thank you enough for all of the support through the first three seasons and into this fourth season. Uh, We have so many great guests lined up already as we continue to elevate the conversation around the mission of child discipleship each and every week. And today, you're gonna hear a conversation that I had with Andy Crouch. Andy Crouch is the partner for Theology and Culture at Praxis, and so much of his ministry focuses on how technology and culture and faith all intersect and the impacts that it has on us as adults and on the kids that we are discipling. His latest book is The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. It is a fantastic read. And Andy's gonna be speaking at the 2022 Child Discipleship Forum. If you wanna learn more about Andy, the Child Discipleship Forum, or get his latest book, all of those links are in the show notes wherever you're listening. We are also joined by Mike Handler for this conversation. And you'll hear this, but when we originally recorded this, it was a live conversation between Andy, Mike, and I that folks were able to interact with as it was happening. This is something that Awana offers on a regular basis. So make sure that you are following us on social media and subscribe to our emails so you can stay up to date about all that's happening in this ministry. But let's get season four started with Andy Crouch. Thank you for listening. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast. I wanna welcome everyone uh, to a regular conversation that we as part of the Awana ministry are so glad to bring you in with. Um, I am joined by, uh, frankly, uh, two of my favorite people. One I've known for all of about four minutes um, and one I have the privilege of working with every day. Uh, So uh, my name is Ross and wherever you are watching this, just know I'm so glad you're here because today we are joined
1: by Andy Crouch. Andy, welcome. Thank you, I'm amazed I made it into your top people in four minutes. Yeah, you know, uh,
0: I'm realizing after I said that, that actually says a lot about the people that I know, um, and I might have to <laughs> make some apologies later. Um, and also, uh, we were joined by Mike Handler, uh, Chief Communication and Innovation Officer at Awana. So welcome, both of you. I'm really excited for this conversation. Thank
2: this you. This is going to be good. I'm I'm offended by the fact that Andy made it that far that fast, and I've worked <laughs> with you for a number
0: of years. Far. I'm going to, yeah, we're going to have to, we'll, we'll uh, it'll come up in my performance review later. Um <laughs> but uh for those of you who don't know uh andy is a partner for theology and culture at practice which is an organization that works as the creative engine for redemptive entrepreneurship um and andy has written so many books uh many of which might already be in your library um exploring faith culture the image of god and the domains of technology power leadership and the arts um, and one of the first things I want to talk about, Andy, is actually your upcoming book, which we're very excited about. It launches April 19th, and that's The Life We're Looking For, Reclaiming Relationship in a Technological World. Can you let folks know, you know, I'll ask the question, what makes this book different than some of the other books where people might be familiar, more familiar with your work?
1: Ooh, fantastic question. Um, huh, so, well, if... if... The, the, my best selling book, the books that most people have read is called The TechWise Family. And in some ways, this is a sequel. Um, but, but that book is targeted at, at a very specific audience, parents, you know, kind of raising kids, trying to figure out how to put technology in its proper place in the home. Um, this book is in some ways a bigger, uh, more, more audacious project, which is to actually ask, what's the proper role of technology in our kind of social world, not just in our homes, but in all the ways we're living together, all the ways we're kind of being human together, so um, it's, a, it's a more ambitious project. Um, and I would also say, actually, of all my books, it's the one that I most hope people will be able to give uh, friends and neighbors who may not share their, uh, the particulars of their faith. But one thing that's really interesting about technology is that almost all of our neighbors, whatever they believe or don't believe, everybody feels like something is not working and, um, and that we need a redesign of our... Uh, technological world uh, that's better for people. <laughs> um, so this is a book designed to be shared. It's very much written from my own Christian point of view, but um, not written assuming the reader shares that point of view. And that was a new thing for me. I've written a number of books that are you know very much for fellow Christian readers. Um, this one, uh, certainly you won't get to the end of the book with uh, wondering whether I believe <laughs> that uh, the gospel is real and Jesus is raised from the dead, But but you won't feel, if you don't believe that, you won't feel like shut out or like you're overhearing a conversation that wasn't meant for you. Um, and uh, I will uh, just one interesting third thing. Uh, so far, the early reviews uh, it hasn't come out yet, but from people who have read it ahead of time, uh, the single most common thing people say is it made me cry. And no one has ever said that about my books before. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, I hope that's good news. I think what it means is that in this book, I've tried to, you would think a book about technology could be kind of dry or analytical. Uh, But I actually think the big issues are emotional, and I guess that I've succeeded, at least for some of my readers, in touching emotion, the emotions we all feel as human beings. And I think when we cry in response to things, you know, it's not because I don't think it's because it's been the book is hurtful or, um, you know, I, I think it's because it touches people's longings, vulnerabilities, hopes. Um, losses in a way that maybe I haven't managed to do in other books. So I'm actually strangely encouraged by that feedback.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that is one of those things where you really want to know the context when people give you that <laughs> feedback. You're like, <laughs> why? But no, I, oh, yeah. that's the impression that I got is, you know, I think one of the things, especially coming out of the past two years that so many in our community, so many people around the world have felt is this, uh level of impersonal relationship you know i had the privilege of and i had the privilege of actually talking to one of your daughters amy for a previous book Mm. and one of the things that's so clear about her writing style about your writing style is your ability to communicate uh issues that we all feel but might not be able to put language to in a way Mm. that makes sense and if it can make sense to me i assure all of you it can make sense to you um mike one of the reasons why we uh, are having this conversation with Andy today is because Andy is one of the speakers uh, at the 2022 Child Establishment Forum. If people haven't heard anything about the forum, can you explain why Iwana is gathering speakers like Andy and what you are most excited about to bring Andy's perspective into this gathering of our community?
2: Yeah, I mean, putting Andy was always on our shortlist. This is our second forum. Uh, he didn't, like Ross, I mean, you shot right up there, Andy, right, right away. So. <laughs> got that going for you here uh but but uh the child discipleship forum for those who aren't familiar with it again this is our second time doing it uh we'll be in nashville in uh later september the 22nd 23rd i believe or it could be the 23rd and 24th but um 22nd and 23rd there we go i should have gone with the gut instinct there uh the child discipleship forum is a uh a time to gather with like-minded uh people who have their hearts beat and break for child discipleship uh, this is local church practice. this is these are individuals who, whether it's your own kids, kids in your community, your grandkids, whatever it might be. but if if you have a heart to want to see children and youth, uh, develop lasting faith in Christ, this is this is the gathering. This is why we put this together, and this is why we invited Andy. Uh, Andy and other speakers, Uh, are here to be a part of a conversation that takes a cultural analysis, that takes into account child advocacy, that takes into account local church practice, and tries to kind of offer, in some regards, a a cultural exegesis, making sense of where we're at at this time, at this space. There's a lot of these types of conferences and conversations that we have for local church, maybe young adult to uh, just kind of adult level, but we really at Awana have felt uh, a deep uh, spirit of conviction to bring that down to the fact that, hey, our four-year-olds are experiencing the same culture as the 40-year-olds in our congregations. So we've got to be able to unpack that for that local church practitioner, for that child disciple maker, whether a parent or a volunteer or, or a children's pastor. And uh, Andy, that's why we're, we're excited to have you a part of this, because what you talk about, about the humanity uh, that kind of is at, in some regards veiled behind technology. We're all on a Zoom call right now. I can see you. I can see Ross. I, I know that you're not me. I know that you know, you have a presence and a self, but at the same time, you're still captive on my screen. So there, there's only so much humanity that I'm experiencing. And I think, you know, for as a parent of young kids who experienced some of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic with kids who are now educating at home. There was quite the challenge there of that kind of loss of human connection. Yeah. Mm. As, as you write about um, technology, oftentimes from a, uh, a Christian worldview, we can sometimes maybe criminalize technology and, and point out all the bad mm. ways. And, mm. and you and, and Amy, in your books, you've never necessarily really done that, but you've tried to right-size it in response to what we believe to be a a biblical worldview, uh, an imago day that we're all created with in the image of God. Uh, How do you go into that in the life we're looking for? It sounds like you kind of take that to the next level or next kind of Mm. page, if you will.
1: Well, I think it's timely in a way, maybe they'll be joining you all in September, because I think this book, it is actually very deeply about formation and discipleship. uh, And the, to me, the real heart of the matter is what in the. I don't know that I use this word a lot in the book because it sounds kind of abstract, but I'm really writing about personhood, mm-hmm. what it is to be a person, um, which is intrinsically bound up with relationship, with love, and and also with our design as human beings. The way I put it in the book is we are heart, soul, mind, strength complexes designed for love. Jesus. You know, called out Deuteronomy six is the great commandment, greatest commandment: love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Um, I actually think one of the amazing things about children is how much they just just instinctively uh, bring the allness of heart, soul, mind, and strength to almost everything they do. Like as adults, we've sort of learned to tamp it down. We express our curiosity less. We we hold back on our emotion. We have learned to sort of tame our bodies in a way. Uh, But kids are just like all in, all out there. You know. and it's actually an interesting question. What happens as we grow up that causes us to forget that allness of childhood? At the same time, that allness has to be developed. And it uh, it's not all there at the beginning. And that's a big part of what parenting and all forms of formation and discipleship are about. And the way this connects to technology is that I think technology has been very, very poorly designed to respond to our whole heart, soul, mind, strength constitution uh, that is It's not helping us grow in these four fundamental dimensions of being human. And it's not, it's even more so not designed to help us grow in love, love for God. Unfortunately, our technological world is shaped by a a kind of, if at best, naturalistic, you know, kind of materialistic uh, assumption, set of assumptions about the world. And ultimately, to me, technology is way too defined by this dream of what I would call impersonal power. The idea that we can get a lot of what we want done in the world without having to be any particular kind of person. You know, when I go into the convenience store and I pay for my uh, shortbread, which is my drug of choice when I go to the convenience store, um, (laughs) I, uh, I, you know, I I have to have some vice, right? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess of all the ones you're
2: picking, that seems to be at least a socially acceptable one. So that's good. (laughs)
1: Exactly. Well, it doesn't impair your driving and so forth, but Walker's (laughs) shortbread, man, I can't resist the stuff. Anyway, you know, I go in there and I pay for it and I leave and I can do that without making eye contact with a single person. Even sometimes when I try to make eye contact, like the cashiers, not really paying attention. No one knows my name. No one knows who who I am because I have money and we have technology that allows that money to be transferred through a little piece of plastic that I have in my wallet, um, in my pocket, and you know this is all extremely convenient. It's also super bad at developing human beings as heart soul mind strength complexes designed for love. So without denying that technology is useful for lots of things, I think the question I'm trying to raise is what you know what is it good for and what's it not good for, and what it's really not good for is the formation of persons. And I think this is why we've ended up as the most powerful people in history by almost any measure, uh, certainly uh, as a population, the richest people in history, um, and yet, uh, arguably some of the most lonely people in history as a population, almost certainly the loneliest human beings have ever been, uh, incredibly anxious, incredibly subject to to distress, like depression and, and uh, so forth. And I think this is because we live in a world that doesn't develop us as persons. And Mm -hmm. while that's hard for everybody, it's hard for the four-year-old and the 40-year-old, the four-year-old is uniquely like vulnerable to this world because this is the formative season of life. I mean, you know, I, I once heard a pediatrician say the first 10 days, the first 10 months, the first 10 years are, are like just deeply, deeply uh, consequential for human beings. And uh, it's not that you can't grow and change in your twenties or forties or eighties, but whatever you have, whatever growth and change you go through in, the, in those seasons is so bounded in some ways by The opportunities that you had to be formed uh, in these critical years. And so, uh, if we're going to reckon with and change course in how technology is forming and not forming us, uh, really the way that we care for and invest in children is like ground zero for actually hope, I would say, for the next, uh, for where this goes from here, uh, as well as uh, real risk.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We would, we espouse the fact that, you know, in the age from the ages of uh four to 14 are the most uh receptive ages of the yeah. of you know human beings to to the gospel we see yeah. it all over the world um yeah, yeah. And what you're saying here is no different right it's the it's the it's children who are susceptible but also receptive toward that formation process and yes. what what's what's discipling them what's forming them what what's instrumental in that and that that um that that pursuit
1: there is really interesting can I, can I just double click on that? Uh, I think we should not be deceived by how readily kids take to technology into thinking that that's what they most want. Like, I really appreciate the, the word receptive. They, uh, just a couple of data points on this. I mean, one, in some research we did for my daughter, Amy's book, we asked teenagers, what if you could change one thing in a relationship with your parents, what would it be? Their number one answer in just free response, the thing they most often volunteer is, I wish my parents would spend less time on their screens and more time listening to and talking to me. So yeah. you may think your kid is, you know, absorbed in their device. They're only absorbed in that device because they have not been offered and modeled a different way, and they're actually quite hungry for a different way. Uh, Tristan Harris, who you know used to be chief ethicist at Google, now runs this uh, kind of uh, think tank and advocacy group, uh, the uh, Center for Human Technology, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, Back when Snapchat was the dominant thing before TikTok, Snapchat was like the thing in high schools. He yeah. would give talks in high schools and there's this thing on Snapchat called streaks where you have to like send your best friend a, stre- a snap every day and it keeps track. Like, have you kept up your streak with your friend? And it's this way that kids feel uh, actually a lot of pressure to show that they are engaging with their friends. So he, asks, he would ask auditoriums full of high school kids, um, how many of you keep up streaks uh, with your friends? And every hand in the room goes up. And then he says, okay, close your eyes. How many of you wish you could stop? Every hand goes up. It's not like they love it. They feel Mm. pressured to use it because this is the way you connect in our world. But if we offered a different way, um, I mean, sorry, i just, (laughs) I don't know if you want me to go off like this. Keep going. Yeah. if, If there's one thing, one thing that I hope I'll get across, even when I'm with you on September, I would love for us to bury the idea there's such a thing as a digital native. So mm. it's a very common phrase for this generation. Oh, well, you know, Gen Z, they're digital natives. The Xers, you know, they're, they're immigrants to the world of technology. But for Gen Z, this is just their natural language. And I just really want to try to persuade people that no, one, no human being comes into the world looking for a screen. The, the first thing we were looking for was a face. We were looking for connection with another person. And and the truth is, anyone who makes it to adulthood found some kind of connection with another person. But what happens is, at moments of distress, at moments when the parents need a break, at moments, in other words, where either the child's distressed or the parents are distressed, or both, um, increasingly early, we hand kids screens. And the screens are designed to be super easy to use and super responsive to children in a way, frankly, that human beings are not. So they're easier for kids. And kids start to acclimate and they do learn very quickly how to kind of get what they want and need from that screen. So in that sense, they're very fluent in, in this digital medium, but no one's no one's a native. Like nobody started out thinking, boy, show me the iPad. <laughs> yeah. they all started saying, essentially show me mom and then show me dad and show me grandma and show me my brother. And, and it was only when those relationships were disrupted and mm-hmm. rupture happened, even the just the benign rupture of mom leaves for a while and, and you start crying. And and then somebody handed them a screen to say, here, this, this, this you'll, you'll calm down if I give you this. But we start with no digital natives, no digital natives.
0: Well, we found the, the title of the episode here. Um,
1: well, I, <laughs> totally.
0: I, I, lo- I love that language because I have a six-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, right? Mm. And as you're describing this, I'm thinking about all of those times where You're right the outward behavior suggests a level of comfort a level of this is working yes but of course it's because in those moments they're not presented with an actually more natural alternative Mm -hmm. and i'm curious for you you know i want to double click on that a little bit because i think one of the things that you and your wife made such a clear choice for with for your family was to live a different rhythm, was to prioritize a different rhythm. And this was several years ago, you, you know, your kids are older now. Um, that resulted, I think, in different fruit. I'm curious, when you look at your kids who are now grown, are you able to articulate what you see in them because of the choices that you guys made personally, that might be different than what we all perceive to be the sort of high anxiety, high pressures that you were speaking to that most Gen Z feels?
1: Mm. Well, of course, it's hard. I mean, I've only got two data points. I have one son and one daughter, So, you know, they are, they are very unique creatures. <laughs> and, uh-huh. uh, it's hard to know what to attribute. And, and I don't know how much credit we can take, honestly. Um, at the same time, well, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you a general thing and then a story. <laughs> um, what I, so my, my, ch- uh, my children are young adults now, 25 and 21, about to turn 22. So um, what I see in them now, is a freedom that they themselves would say most of their friends don't have with respect to technology. They, my, my kids use, you know, they're very adept. My daughter took you know, a Python class in college. My son is super quick with this kind of stuff. They're, you know, they're very tech literate in a way. Um, interestingly, neither of them is really on social media. Like they're on social media less than I am, they're more radical than I mm. am about these things. Um, but really what I would characterize them as having is just a freedom to use or not use, and and a lack of a sense of pressure that a lot of their friends feel. Yeah. Um, I, I'll i tell you a quick story. I think it was when they were 16 and 13. They're basically three years apart. We were driving somewhere, and my daughter, who's the younger one, was telling her older, older brother in the backseat um, about how hard it was to be in middle school and not know what any of the TV shows were that her friends were talking about. <laughs> you know, so this was one of the like problems. Like you, if you if you raise your kids in a really super tech wise way, I would say they are not going to be cool in the usual yeah. sense. Like they are going to be not laughing at jokes that other people get because they just do not have all the cultural reference rates. It. So it's they'll be awkward. Uh, and my kids, I think my kids would have been awkward. If no matter what, honestly. So this is, you know, it's hard. And then middle school is just awkward for everybody. So Amy's kind of describing this to her older brother, who's only 16, mind you. And Catherine and I are listening, you know, to this conversation as we drive along. And Tilly says, well, Amy, it is hard. But uh, the reason it's hard is that our parents are actually intentional. And Mm -hmm. they are actually seeking to create good for us. I think this is a pretty, pretty closely pure quote here. Um, and so while it's hard right now, it's going to be good later on. <laughs> Catherine and I are listening. I, I don't remember, we really did this, but I imagine us like secretly just silently oh, high-fiving yeah. each yeah, other. Yeah, I here. mean, but, <laughs> and you, you, you peaked at that point. It, it's done, it's done. <laughs> our, job, our job here is done. Um, <laughs> but what I loved was that my, I know you see, I used this word. I just loved that my 16 year old used this word intentional because, mm. That probably is the biggest fruit that we've seen in our kids is that they yeah. just have been on their own thoughtful. My daughter went off to a super high pressure university very, you know, the kind that people like scramble to get their kids in she got in but what we worried about as she went was how the, it's just like this pressure cooker of ambition and all kinds of idols and I, honestly I dropped her off I thought what have I, it happened to be the school I went to so I knew how bad it was. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, man, it's only gotten worse. And I will tell you, like, so she chose Sabbath from the very we practice Sabbath as a family, one day a week where we have to no work, nothing that gives us status, significance, or provision, and also where we turn off anything with a switch for the whole day. And my daughter just first week of college decided to do that herself. Now nobody at her school is doing this, but she has gone through four years at this, you know, Ivy League school with such freedom and peace and her friends call her the happy one they're like you're the only happy person we know at the school and it's just so encouraging now again you know how much of that is choices we might uh, it's hard to say but uh, it can't have hurt and um, yeah and i i look at families you know you go out to dinner somewhere And you see these families where the parents are maybe talking, but the kids, maybe younger kids like your age Ross uh, are are on devices to keep them quiet Mm -hmm. at dinner. And I just want to say, I know why you're doing that. It's so much easier now to, to just hand them that glowing rectangle now. But I just wish you could picture that if you would do the hard thing now of not turning to the glowing rectangle and figuring out how to involve them even at this dinner or maybe you don't try to go out to the dinner at this stage. I just wish you could see what it's like for our family to go out to dinner and the conversations we have with our, teen- had with our teenagers all through their teenage years, now that we have in their 20s. Like, it's so rich. And I'm like, I don't think you'll have that if you mm. never practice when they're young. So you either get easy now, hard later, or hard now, easy later. And I just, I wish I could just help people imagine how, uh, I don't know, easy is the wrong word. <laughs> easy, no, but hard, but- later. hard later, How now, hard now, good later. How yes. good yeah it will be
0: like- yeah, well, because I think it's important for people to hear too I love the, the language of freedom, and I love that your daughter's known as the happy one because that is such a like everyone who's watching this, everyone who's listening to this, they desire that for their kids, the kids in their yeah. community, like across the board and I think it's important to articulate the ways in which being intentional, making an, a different yeah. decision can yield those results um down the line and as we would say around here like impact a lasting faith
1: yeah exactly you know
0: um i'm curious too a lot of people who are going to interact with us are church leaders are people who particularly are you know involved in a children's ministry space or a child discipleship space trying to help do exactly what you're articulating help the kids and the parents in their communities be more intentional in their discipleship and in their formation Hmm. how do that how does that sort of support role continue to do that intentional work of relationships because we're only you know we're only seeing them every so often we're not in the home with them what is that sort of balance that leaders can um strive
1: for well a couple thoughts um I don't know which order to do these in. I mean, one is, and I know that you all think about this. Uh, we do just have to recognize any any ministry to children at any stage, including through the teenagers, years, um, is only effective insofar in a, to some extent as it's ministry to the parents and with the parents. And so seeing the parents as part of your mandate, now you have limited, perhaps con, even less contact with them in some cases, I'm sure, than you do with their their children. But um ultimately uh most of what has to be frankly what has to be changed if i can put it this way in our world is is the behavior of the grown-ups not the behavior of the kids with respect i'm thinking about devices and screens in particular <clears throat> um it's a much bigger problem that mom and dad are taking their phone to bed than even that their kids taking their phone to bed to, to be totally honest mm-hmm. because if mom and dad weren't taking their phone to bed mom and dad would be aware more deeply of what's going on in their child's life and then they would realize how bad it is that they're daughter or son is taking their fun a bit like it just but but if the parents are checked out and if the parents are not engaged then honestly no rules or anything else can help that much um, at home so as possible just attending to and encouraging parents to to be willing to do things that are uncomfortable including in their own lives would be good but uh back to that setting where you get the chance to be meaningfully involved in a child's life I, I mean, this is like probably elementary for you and everybody you work with, but I just think a little bit of genuine attention goes a really long way. <laughs> I, uh, I I was asked recently, I was talking to a group of managers, like people who work, work lead teams at work. And they were like, how can I show my my team um, Christian love? And I said, well, I, I don't think you can do it directly. Like, I don't think you could, I don't know, you could try conjuring up a feeling of Christian love towards your team and just hoping it like oozes out. But assuming mm-hmm. that may not work, I really <laughs> think what you need to do is, is show them attention and, and back to a word we used earlier, intention. So just, first of all, just attending, um, just paying attention to what it's like to be this person, whether it's a four-year-old person or a 14-year-old person. And mirroring that back to them and just naming, oh, you, you seem really proud of yourself to, for what you did today, or you seem sad, sad in a different way than usual, or you know, just that basic connection that says, I actually see you. I'm taking the time to notice what's going on for you. I'm feeling a little bit of what you're feeling. I just think that's incredibly powerful. and And then intention is and I have something good for you. I've thought about what's good for you. And, and I'd like to show you what it is. And can we do it together? Um, in the, it's interesting. In, my, in this new book, The Life We're Looking For, I, I end by talking about how powerful these relationships of love are that shape our lives. And sometimes they're relationships with our parents, but sometimes they're not. So all of us has like a genealogical biological genealogical tree. But I actually think anyone who ends up following Jesus has another genealogical tree, which is the tree of personal love that passed on from generation to generation. And it may or may not, for any given person, it may or may not have come through their family, because families are messy and complicated. Um, And I I write in the book about the first person who showed me the love of Jesus in a way that I really got it. And her name was Sylvia Edwards, and she was my Sunday school teacher in, I think, third grade, maybe third and fourth grade. And... Uh I was not I was raised in a very nominal home. I we were kind of in, in a mainline Protestant environment where my parents didn't necessarily practice the faith in in notable ways at home. I wouldn't have uh, been able to articulate like how our, what our family believed, but we did go to church and they dropped me off at Sunday school, you know. And you know, honestly, I got basically zero religious instruction at home uh, that I can remember. Um, but Sylvia Edwards <laughs> mm. paid it. I I can I can picture the Sunday school room you know I'm 54 years old so this is like 50 almost 50 years later I can picture the Sunday school room I can picture her I can picture her face I can sense the tone of her voice and it was presence attention mm. patience love room for conversation and and some information like some stories and some perspectives that that I don't know how much I absorbed but it was just enough to set me on this journey That later on in my high school years, when, when I was represented with the gospel, I was like, oh yes, this is, this is what I actually want. But third, fourth grade was huge. And it's, you know, as you know, it's, it's the content doesn't hurt, but it's not the content. It's the presence. It's the patience, the attention. Thanks for listening.
3: We'll be right back.
0: Research is clear parents hold the most significant influence in a child's development. That's why Iwana developed TalkAbout. TalkAbout delivers child discipleship through simple discussions and family fun, forming lasting faith one conversation at a time. With your family's monthly subscription, you'll receive an email each week containing your TalkAbout bundle, including guided conversations through selected scripture passages which allow families to engage in the bible and answer big questions with the truth of god's word fun hands-on activities take the guesswork out of child discipleship as kids color create sing and share kids will remember and reinforce what they've learned throughout the week Helpful references, videos, and insights provide parents and caregivers with deeper levels of biblical knowledge to help deepen your family's understanding of God's Word each week. It's the everyday moments of life that can become moments that make an eternal difference. These are the moments Talk About was created for. Bring the gospel home and help your kids form lasting faith one conversation at a time. Try one month of Talk About for free with the special promo code, exclusive for our podcast listeners. Resilient. Again, that's one month of Talk About for free with the promo code Resilient. Get started today at TalkAboutDiscipleship.com. dot com.
2: Andy, you bring up something there that we find to be true, no matter if it's here in you know the U.S. or around the world, and. Uh, at Iwana, we've written about it a lot. It's, it's what we call our our three B philosophy of ministry. These three B's aren't like intellectual property or anything like that. But but what you're talking about here is a child in yourself who found a sense of belonging, right? And you can recall that that community yes. that was created yes. that Sylvia created that like that you felt an eye to eye, heart to heart connection with, yep. and. You know, I find it to be very um, ironic that social media does anything except make us more social. Wow, you know, it's right. it's it's not helping us connect at a heart level. This the medium of the screen, while incredibly helpful in some regards, certainly does not provide a level of empathy where we're able to all right, all right. sense the pain or emotion, deep right. the connection thereof with whomever it is that we might be speaking to. And I think what you touch on there is something that, for many of us, like you said, who, who maybe found, um, who came to faith in Jesus Christ as a child, we may not remember this specific prayer, I can almost guarantee you none of us probably remember a specific sermon, but there's probably to your point there a genealogy of faith that was passed yeah. on to us through a specific yeah. community of specific people yes. that we can recall, yes. and it's you know, it shouldn't surprise us either, because we go back to the scriptures and we see Paul talking about his spiritual children. You know, his exactly. children in the faith. And and this is what we can experience here today as well. You know, as we lead and as we disciple and as we form children and young people. And and I think, as as you talk about, you know, the the humanity, if you will, the connection, the the fact that you know, the the heart, soul, mind, strength entity or essence of humanity of we as people uh we can too often just want to go to the results the easy connection if you will i'll I'll just you know i'll ping them on social media or i'll do this thing or whatever else And, and we lose that actual eye to eye heart to heart connection that that really is where formation discipleship whatever we want to call it takes place there's no Absolutely. shortcut there's no easy button for that at all
1: exactly exactly oh man you're gonna love the last chapter of my book i think That's <laughs> ah! not to, give it, a,
2: not to not, give it away but yeah i mean it's, yeah it, you're, it you're not allowed like to skip
1: to the last chapter no you can ah. skip if you want but yes completely completely and i think what we you know, part of what we need in a technological world, I mean, I would actually say we live in kind of a technological empire, like it dominates our world. It determines the, just like the Roman empire in so many ways, determined the limits of what people could imagine. Yeah. Technology has done that for us. And in some ways what we need is the courage to just continue to believe that that what you were just talking about is what really matters. It's not how mm. tech savvy you are. It's not how impressive your graphics are. It's not, you know, how, much social media reach we have, because in fact, all that is, is actually subservient to the power of, uh, really in in the book, I call it the power of mammon, which is, which I take to be Mm. the kind of driving will behind the development of technology that is not about human flourishing, is not the best for people. Um, and we have to maintain kind of the, the, fortitude to say in in this world that is prioritizing so many other things and rewarding so many other things we're going to keep doing this thing yeah um and i you know it strikes me i would be interested how you think guys think about this it strikes me that in the the first half of the age range you all focus on or or let's just think about that four to 14 where they're most receptive um the attention and the presence and the belonging, in a way, is enough. Like, I think kids just, they they open up like flowers when you offer that to them. There is this transition in middle school where we also have to, if you haven't done the formative work of, like, in a sense, giving them strategies of resistance and a better way and a, like a roadmap for a different way through adolescence, I think, no matter how beautiful those childhood experiences were, they get swept up in this um, mediated world, yeah. which realistically for the foreseeable future, all their friends are enmeshed in. And mm-hmm. so all their sense of social significance and status is enmeshed in it. And I feel like there's, there's like the nurturing of childhood, but then there's also like, I feel like we probably need some new rites of passage, like at yeah. age 12 and 13 that are like, okay, here's how you are going to survive the next 10, 10 years of stupidity <laughs> around you <laughs> that, the, that the culture is selling you that TikTok right. incorporated wants to sweep you up in and we're going to give you like some really robust you know it's almost like there was a time for nurturing now there's a time for like prepare for battle because yeah. it's going to feel hard you're going to feel awkward you're going to feel different and guess what uh, our family is different Jesus family is different it's okay to be different. It's actually amazing because we get access to a kind of life that all of our neighbors are longing for. All your friends secretly want it, but they won't ever say it because they're afraid it's not there. And yeah. so anyway, I don't know. How's that strike you? Like the, the additional, it's not just nurture at some point, right?
2: Absolutely. Well, I mean, that belonging goes into a believing and a becoming, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, like yeah. that, that yeah. belonging might create the space to have a conversation that I now get to tell you about my story with Jesus, how I came yeah. to meet Jesus, yeah. how Jesus has transformed my life. And with the hopes that the Holy Spirit at that moment or putting those moments together would draw you to faith in Christ, right? And then it's just like, okay, now let's walk together. You know, yeah. let, let's walk together. Let me show you how to, how to live life. And it's challenging as a parent. It's challenging as a ministry leader, too, because you, you only get to Ross's point so much time. But if you, yeah. can, if you can separate yourself from that glowing rectangle, as you call it, right, is if, you can, if you can put that down, if you can limit, not because it's necessarily like, you know, that, that collection of circuits and wires is inherently bad. But if you can at least just say, look, this, this, this yeah. time with you, you know, a yeah. person who I'm in a uh, yes. discipleship relationship with is more important.
1: Damn. Like,
2: let me just tell you the stories of what Jesus has done for me in this regard. I hear my kids right outside my door. So Ross, I'm gonna turn this question over to you real quick because (laughs) I know what's about to happen here. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: hilarious. Well, cause I think, and I would just encourage people, if you interact with any of Andy's work, this is what it's like right now, right? Um, You're going to see, this is not some sort of technological bashing, right? Like everything we're talking about is, about human flourishing it's about John 10 10 yeah. life to the full and I think that's part of why your work resonates so much is is that sort of um, idea that you were just speaking to is that what you say to people who want to go back uh, like I think there is often this nostalgia particularly that uh, right. older generations have of like oh if only we could leave ministry before yeah. kids had phones or you know those those kinds of conversations and just candidly I personally Personally, to speak for myself and not for one, I feel like that's not the uh, the best use of your energy. And I love how you're able to articulate, yet, no, lean into the fact that what we're offering is better than anything you're going to get on that glowing rectangle.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I understand the nostalgia, um, but it's a luxury we can't really afford for very long. I think. Um, Mm. I would suggest responding not with nostalgia because look, we're not what, whatever is going to happen. We're going to, I, I hope, I hope this is not the game that our culture continues to play, but if that game is going to change, it's not going to be by trying to rewind. It's going to be mm. through redesign and designing something different and better. And um, uh, you know, the, just a, a, an ax, Uh, Acts 1, I guess, Jesus has been raised from the dead. The disciples are like, so, Lord, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, they're thinking, rewind, right? They're like, yes, we're going back to to the Davidic king. Uh, We're going to throw off the empire. And he's like, "Uh, it's not for you to know, like, what is going to happen. But I will tell you this, you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, uh, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he is basically saying, you are thinking way too small if your idea is going back um and in fact it's going to yeah. for he i don't know if jesus knows this because he even says the son the father doesn't even apparently bother to tell the son when the whole thing's going to wrap up um according <laughs> to jesus um, or right. maybe the son just never asked the son's like i don't care that's that's dad's job you know um but he but that's a know, really good point <laughs> but the truth is and jesus does give glimpses of this it's going to be 400 years before this roman empire Uh, comes around to the witness of the Christians and along the way a lot of blood is going to be shed and a a lot uh, is going to seem to go wrong but at the same time this mustard seed is going to be growing in ways that they just can't imagine if they're thinking nostalgically so I'm I'm in it for a 400 year story here where we where we turn around the history of Western culture and its desire for magic, we haven't talked about that word, but that's what's behind all this, the power of mammon, which really started to take over in the 14th century. I, like we need to be part of a renewal movement that 400 years from now, there's been some meaningful movement away from this false human dream that has driven the whole history of the West. Mm-hmm. So I don't have time to be nostalgic about, you know, the 1960s when kids stayed out until dusk and you know just came home for dinner. I mean, I, there were some beautiful things about that, but of course that world had some, some shadow sides, big shadow sides. Um, I
3: right. would
1: suggest what to do with the current moment is lament. Like it is, it's bad. It's really bad. The, the, the conditions your, your kids are coming into your ministry environment with should be lamented. And we should be crying out to God for how much this is distorting human development and how much damage it's doing. But lament is different from nostalgia. Uh, and lament brings mm. a cry to God, like, God, you must see this. Why haven't you acted more quickly? What are you doing? <laughs> but also expresses trust in God. And yet you are at work. You brought me out of my mother's womb. And you taught me when I was a child. And now that I'm old and gray-headed, I'm going to tell the next generation. Like, it's this comprehensive prayer of dissatisfaction with what's happening now, which is totally fine to feel. But then offering, I commit myself to you. I offer myself to you in this world that is so messed up, um, and I just promise that'll lead to more generative possibilities than wishing it were another way. Does that hmm. kind of make sense?
0: It absolutely does. Cause I I ask about nostalgia because I I want to connect the dots for people too. You know, so much of your work, even before this book, was. Even just built around the Sabbath, right? The way that you talk about the Sabbath, the way that you made that such a, a natural part of your personal famous rhythm, it was it's obvious to me you have this deep connection to the early church. And I know this this book particularly um goes uh deep into it. And if folks I just wanna remind folks that if you wanna hear more from Andy, not only should you check out his book and go to his website, but also, you should go to Child uh where uh, Andy is going to be one of our faculty members, uh, where you can be in Nashville or online from September 22nd or 23rd. Um, but you talk about the early church a lot. And I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, yes, we're in this for the 400 years, but we've already been provided examples on
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
0: what it means to live that way. Can you articulate that more for people who are with us right now?
1: Oh, man. Yeah, you know, um, I think one, I, I don't know if this is what you're hoping I'll say, but uh, one thing I think we can actually do in our study of the Bible is, in, in one sense, read it more imaginatively with respect to the the people in the Bible. Um, hmm. Which is to say, I think we sometimes, so my this next book, um, It's really built on one chapter in particular, which is Romans 16, which I think of as the least preached on chapter in the most preached on book in the New Testament. So Romans, you know, all these sermons on Romans, it's this incredibly rich theological book. But then there's this thing in Romans 16 where Paul, basically the whole chapter is just Paul greeting people. And we don't spend much time on this because we read this list of names and we don't even know how to pronounce most of them. And we get just tiny little details, but not a lot about them. And I think we skip over those things, just like we skipped over the genealogies at the beginning of Matthew and Luke. And uh, I think going back and and doing the patient work to, and you can do this with kids so well, especially, I mean, maybe not four-year-olds, but definitely eight-year-olds, definitely 14-year-olds you can take a person um, and just try to like iteratively imagine what was it like to be that person and begin to recognize even though they lived in a they did live in a very different world from us with very different assumptions and we shouldn't minimize the cultural distance between us, us and them at the same time and this is like the genius of the word of god this because it's indwelt by the holy spirit because it, it's not just one more ancient text when you do that imaginative work, you start to realize like, these people have clues for me about how to live in my world. <laughs> and the things that I face, there are some amazing analogs to what they faced. Um, so I think a, a practice, um, that one of the best things I did in my whole life was, I think for, I think it was 10 years in a row, um, it was nine years, uh, nine years in a row, every January, I would sit down with a group of first-year students at Harvard College, as it happened as it happened, that's why I was in campus ministry. And we would start with a fresh manuscript of the Gospel of Mark, double-spaced, no verse numbers, no chapter numbers, just the English text of the Gospel of Mark um, on plain paper. And for a year, we would study it. And the main thing we did was imagine it, take every moment and imaginatively enter it and try to understand what was it like to be Jairus approaching Jesus because his 12-year-old is uh, dying. And then what's it like for it to be gyrus when this random woman has touched Jesus and suddenly Jesus is having this extended conversation with her while your daughter is dying. Mm-hmm. And then what is it like to be gyrus when somebody comes from your house and says, actually you shouldn't trouble the teacher anymore. She's dead. And then what, you know, like, and live with these people. Mm-hmm. And you start to realize, I had this professor in seminary who said a very interesting thing. He said, all of us are one generation away uh, from, uh, from the eyewitnesses to Jesus. Uh, because they told their stories and people wrote them down. Peter told Mark uh, apparently, and Mark wrote it down. Uh, yeah. Luke accompanied Paul. Luke collected all these stories, and he, and they were the people who wrote it down were maximum one generation. So even though there's two thousand years between us, in another way, these stories we are hearing like one one click away from the people who actually touched and served, heard and felt mm-hmm. and all that. Um, so allowing ourselves to be imaginatively like to imaginatively enter their world and getting kids to practice this uh, because initially this text will seem distant and difficult and we would see this also with our stud- our Harvard students every January they're like well I, I'm kind of Christian I already know what this text says or or I'm not very Christian I don't get it like there's this there's this instinct to just move on and kind of give up either because you think you know what it says or you think you don't but if you stick with it it's just Mm. transformative. So I don't know. I'm not sure Mm. that's what you were looking for, but it just feels like that is the work. Look, Enter into that text, imagine it, realize you're not so far from it. And it's written in such a way and has the inspiration of the spirit to like come alive every time somebody takes it seriously, it's going to come alive. Yeah,
0: no. Look, Andy, I think it's just another example of why you're one of my favorite people.
2: Um, so,
0: uh, which
1: is really uh, this is the point of this conversation? Just to, exactly, to really it, demonstrate, it, that. Yes, yeah. yeah. Ross Mike. has
2: favorite people merch that he will send your way after this.
1: <laughs> I want the T-shirt.
2: <laughs> well, Andy, I know that you uh, you're you're joining us again in September at the Child Discipleship Forum. September, I should say, in the Child Discipleship Forum. Um, Could you give us even a a little bit of a a preview of of what we might hear from you for those who are either attending in person in Nashville or or online, uh, whether on their own or with a group at their church?
1: Yeah, well, I I mean, honestly, there's been quite a few previews along the way here. I don't know that uh, at this point, (laughs) it's not like I have like 20 more new ideas. (laughs) Um, Andy, now that you've gotten (laughs) through all the appetizers, tell us about the main course. no. uh, But I will try to put together a picture for us of um, a kind of a parallel picture of of what's happening in our world with technology. Um, what are the really important features of it? There's things we fixate on, like, you know, certain apps or platforms. And to me, those are like the epiphenomena of the surface. Like, we really need to look at the deep story. So I'm going to try to help us just understand what the deep story is. Um, and then actually, as we've just been talking about, draw a kind of parallel to the the deep story that was playing itself out in the first century when the Jesus movement began, which is where this chain of transmission started. And, and while it's not uh, perfectly parallel, it is amazing how much, I mean, I think it's, it's like the great providential gift of God that the, the faith arose in the midst of an absolutely dominating total empire that, that filled the known world. And we live in the same kind of thing today, <laughs> except it's technology rather than Caesar that runs the mm-hmm. show. But, but the great hope here is that th- the faith outlasted that empire, <laughs> and it's yeah. going to outlast this empire. And there are some strategies that we can observe and adopt from the first Christians um, mm. that made disciples, that created this, this m- be- belief and behavior, you know, and belonging that could last for, we're, we're at 100 generations so far, but God has yeah. promised a 1,000, those who love me and keep my command it's a thousand so i'll try to draw the parallels and give us some a little bit of a roadmap of the part we play in um getting uh seeing god's promise come true i mean god is the one who's going to keep his promise but we have this amazing privilege of joining him and being part of uh, a thousand generation story um so i'll try to give some pointers toward that
2: andy you you have probably forgotten well we're about technology than some of us have learned about uh and yet you seem like some, one of the most hopeful people as it relates to the promises of god coming true and yes. the fact that they will outlast this kind of technological empire if you will
1: how oh, I, how can so- we
2: how can we in this in this season whether we have a familiarity or a fear of technology uh, how can we kind of start adopting that attitude rightly and, and live it out in our own, you know, ministries and applications of our faith? Hmm.
1: hmm. I mean Well, I don't know if this is the only answer. Um I mean, first just keep you know we we have an obligation it's a terrifying thing to say but we have an obligation obligation to become saints that is we i don't know if obligation is quite the right word but we a calling a vocation to become totally transfigured by the mm. reality of jesus the love of god and the power of the spirit um that that amazing line from the monastic father acquire the holy spirit and you will save a thousand around you uh mm. like that's our task so like, don't forget, like, this is not about a technical adjustment of our lives or getting some more information or getting a new perspective or, you know, God forbid, just reading another book. It's a, it's about the pursuit of ourselves being transformed. We can't offer anything we don't, haven't received. And that involves risk, vulnerability, suffering, um, sometimes martyrdom, certainly, uh, laying down our lives in very profound ways. And, those who have sacrificed and those who have not chosen the easy, comfortable way are those who actually live, knowing that God is good, that God rescues, that God provides, and, and that there's hope. And I'm like 1% of the way on the journey, maybe, um, but that's the journey I'm on. I'm, I'm serious about it. I don't always get it right, and I often fall off the path, but uh, that's the first thing. Um I, you know, back to something I said earlier that maybe sounded a little odd, uh, and maybe it sounds even more odd in this context. I actually think the practice of lament, like taking the pattern of the Psalms and learning to really pray the Psalms, I ha- I-, I picked this up, uh, if people were interested, I, I did an interview with a member of our community of practice named Donna Harris, who's this incredible uh, venture capitalist, but also incredible, like, uh, woman of God, honestly, incredible filled with the holy spirit teacher and she taught a group of our entrepreneurs a practice of lament as a means to creative action in the world and and donna has this just fascinating idea that real creativity um, emerges not from feeling feeling happy and optimistic about the world but actually lamenting some aspect of the world but Hmm. she and so you can, if you were interested, there's a podcast interview I did where she kind of lays out the steps that you have to go through that are patterned on the Psalms of complaint and outcry, but also promise and reassurance. And there's all these kind of, there's a template you can use. Um, and I have found that incredibly helpful because, uh, there are things in the world to lament. There are things in my own story to lament things that have happened to people around me to lament. And if I don't lament them, I do become, uh, anxious and depressed. Uh, yeah. But it, but strangely, when <clears> I bring all this fully to God with no sugarcoating it, no minimizing it, I, I will just, I, the fruit of the spirit, whatever fruit of the spirit you see in me, and I don't assume it's a lot, but if it's more than zero, it it is the fruit of having had these incredibly honest encounters with God. Um, so I think learning a more honest life with God will lead to God pouring out riches on us that allow us to be hopeful and loving, even when, objectively speaking, there's every reason in the world to be despairing and and angry and cynical, Um, but we don't have to be. Uh, And there's another way, and and we can be transformed, and and as we're transformed, we're going to be uh, agents of transformation for other people. And then that's a kind of a virtuous cycle. Like you just start to believe the world is, is in grave, grave shape without a savior, but it has a savior. And we've been rescued. Yeah. And like, we get to be part of this. It's just the most amazing thing that we got. We get to be part of this story.
2: Amen.
0: Amen. Well, Andy, thank you so much for your time. Those of you who are with us live. Thank you for your time. I hope you leave this as encouraged and, um, ready to charge to the hill, uh, as I do, because I'm just so grateful that we're going to get to hear more from you and that more of our community is going to hear from you at the Child discipleship Forum in September. So Andy, thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you for all that you do. Um, And for everybody, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. We will talk to you next time.
3: The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Thanks to the donations of generous folks like you, Awana partners with 62,000 churches in 130 countries to make resilient child disciples. When you give to Awana, you are investing in lasting faith. Young people who will engage the culture with the gospel and fearlessly lead the church into the future. To make a donation to this mission, go to awana.org donate. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode, and check out the show notes of today's episode for relevant links from the conversation as well as information about other podcasts from Awana. The podcast is mixed, edited, and produced by me, Marlon Washington, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams, and hits by Jude, You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from the album Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next
1: week.